spent a lot of his life in the Middle East, in Qatar and Kuwait, um, ministering. He just has life. His lifestyle is just spilling the goodness of the Lord wherever he goes. Uh, he doesn't call it outreach. He doesn't call it evangelism. It's just his life. And he's seen a lot of salvations and a lot of healings. And um, tonight he's just going to share uh, from his heart with us. So why don't you wake, welcome Dave Hess. Michael asked me to back up so I wouldn't spit on him because sometimes I get going a little bit. Um, I'll tell you what, um, let's put this here. What I'm going to try to do tonight is I'm going to try to establish something just in terms of kind of the way I'm seeing things right now, the way I'm, I don't know, the longer I've been a follower of Jesus, the simpler it's getting. You know, somehow we get really complicated at some point in this journey, and, and what I'm seeing is that it's real, real simple. So I want to establish something, and I don't care whether somebody in here is a young person, or is anybody in here in junior high school, or did we kick all of them out? Well, I got one guy here. And junior high, okay. So we've got a range of people going up from there. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to establish something. I'm going to try to, to convince you of something that I hope you never forget. And, um, and then I'm going to run with it for a little bit. We're going to get into the Word. And then what I think I'm going to do at one point is I'm just going to try to stop and I want to open it up for some questions and answers, either about what I've just shared, if something's not clear, but also because I live and work in the Middle East our entire life. I, I moved to the Middle East in 1992. So that predates many people in this room. I've been living in the Middle East since 1992 full time. Um, I've lived in about five different Middle Eastern countries my wife and I, we, we learned Arabic, and, um, and so that is where the assignment, that is where the Lord has us on an assignment, and that's where I've learned the things that I'm going to be talking about tonight, and that's the context in which we are seeking to live out this life, and I want to challenge you tonight because I believe that if, if there's a, a motley crew that's able to live this out, and as we pursue God in the Middle East, in a place where it's illegal to do the things that we're doing, that there's no reason why you can't do these things here in Dallas. You see, I'm, not, I'm never, never, never accepted that, uh, you know, my, my vision is that whatever you hear tonight it's not like, be careful, don't try these things at home. Everything that I'm sharing is, be sure to try these things yourself. I want to release you. Um, and so I think along the way, I'm going to just share some of, of our value system with you and, and what we're going after, and, and I'll probably share a few stories, but I definitely would like to open it up for question and answers because there's just a lot of things happening in the Middle East right now, and there's just a lot of confusion about what's what and what's happening and what do you think and where are we going, and I have opinions about all of those things. I don't know if they're all right, but I can tell you I know a lot more than a lot of people that wander around this country and think they know everything about the Middle East. That's where I live. You know, I can tell you what's going on in Iraq. I can tell you what's really going on in Syria. I'm telling you right now, the media here does not want to really face the fact of what's going on in the Middle East. What's going on in the Middle East is that we are seeing 
a ever-increasing rise of radical Islam, which means that we need to see an ever-increasing rise of radical Christianity. It's the only, it's the only solution to the problem. So things are getting real clear in the Middle East, real clear. It's not a lot of gray anymore. It's black or it's white. It's light, it's darkness. Some, some of you like, I don't like gray areas. I like it clear. I like to know what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's dark and what's light, what's evil and what's great. Anyway, it's, it's becoming very, very clear. Anyway, um, so this is how I'm going to start, and, and I'm going to get into the Word in a minute, uh, and it's funny because I never know what I'm going to preach about, and I just kind of pull out my notes, and I begin to look at something, and actually I'm going to preach out of a text I've never preached out of before in my life tonight. So the Lord just highlighted some stuff, and he said, go here, I, wanna, I want, and so I'm the kind of guy that I discover things as I'm preaching. It's, it's, it's a little bit scary because, you know, you're kind of supposed to study and show yourself to approved and then whatever. So I, I'm going to discover some stuff tonight, and I believe I'm going to share some of those discoveries with you. And then you, what you do is you go and you test everything, and you hold on to what is good. So I just want to give you freedom to flush anything tonight that you hear that you don't find clearly in the Word. I want us to be people of the Word. There's a lot of fluff out there in the body of Christ, and I'm telling you right now, we have only begun to, to mine the depths of what's in this Word. And tonight, I've stumbled into a passage I've never preached out of, and so I'm really excited because I learn as I preach. I know that sounds really, really bad because I, do, I went to seminary, I'm ordained, I, I did all of that stuff for years and years and years, and I find that I discover things every time I open this Word, my wife's like, you need to read the Bible more, Dave, because every time you get into it, you learn new things. Like, you know, it's crazy. I, I've got this, this wife who, who's like telling me things I should probably already know. But even sitting here tonight during worship, the Lord just opened up something for me, and I'm going to share it with you. Um, but anyway, I just want to say this. So basically, I, I'm going to argue that there are two essential visions of God that are out there in the church. And there's this one view of God that they emphasize a certain aspect, a certain element of God's nature and his character to what to, to they, they're emphasizing one thing. And then over here, there's another group that's emphasizing another truth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint this picture, and then I'm going to argue that this view is essentially wrong. And this view over here is essentially right, and I'm going to actually now show you a verse that will tip the scales. So over here, there's a whole tribe of people. I love them. They are excited about God and his kingdom, but they think that the most dominant, the most important, the most essential essence of God or character of God is his power and his control and his sovereignty. And that's what they think is the thing that we have to emphasize more than anything else. This view of God, his power, his omnipotence, if you want the theological terms, his, they like to use the word glory, but they're usually using it to talk about his power, his majesty, and his control. And they want to argue that this is the most fundamental character of God that he's power, 
and he's controlling everything meticulously, and that's their vision. And it all goes back to a guy named St. Augustine. If you've ever heard of the great St. Augustine, this view of God in the Christian church can be traced back to this great theological mind who lived in the 400s. I'm not going to go into church history. I love church history, but that would put some of you to sleep maybe a little bit. But I just wanted to tell you where this came from. So that's one view of God. Now over here on the other side, which is where I firmly plant myself, is that at God's very basic, deepest, most core level, God is love. And that is his essence at the deepest level. If you were, to, if you were able to get into the Trinity as a sandbox and dig down to the bottom of this sandbox, scrape off the bottom, and see what was written at the very essence and core of the Trinity, it would say love, not power. And this is what I believe. I believe the Scripture teaches it. And I believe that if you start here with, with God's essence and nature and character, it, it messes up a lot of stuff along the way. Do I believe that God is all-powerful? Yes. Do I believe that he has a providential control over history? Absolutely. But that characteristic is in subordination to his love. It is his power. It is, it is from his love that he expresses his power. It's not from his power that he's expressing his love. And this is it. You guys know this in relationship. You know this. If somebody is hyper-controlling and has to be always in the power position, they're not a safe person. And I'm going to argue that if you start with a character of God who essentially has to be in control of everything, and its power is the essence of who he is, that's not a God who is safe, and that's not a God that you would ultimately want to draw near to. But if he's love... And if every other characteristic of God flows out of this divine love that flows between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then he's a safe guy, and we can draw near to him. Listen, I'm telling you, some of you have lived life. I'm, only, I'm 47 years of age. Some people in this room are a little bit older than me. But by the time you're 47 years of age, I want to tell you right now, you avoid people who manifest this whole thing, and you are drawn to people that are over here. And I want to tell you right now, what kind of God are we serving if, if, God is, if, if God's essence in his core is the type of nature that most of us, by the time you're 47, you're rejecting that kind of person. You think they're abusive. You th you have all sorts, we have all sorts of titles for people that are hyper-controlling, type A, um, you know, insecure, whatever else it is, and you're drawn to people who are essentially loving, essentially relational. And I want to argue that even though I believe that God is powerful and he, and he has control and all that stuff over history, it's all in subordination to the fact that God is love. So if that is, if that, I, I hope that the whole two places, I hope you understand, this is where I'm coming from. you got to understand something. Before God even had a thought about creating anything, within the, 
the, within the Trinity itself, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were loving one another for all eternity. That's the way it was. It wasn't that in the Trinity, the Father was exercising his power and his muscle, and the Son was exercising his, and I want to control you. That's not that what was going on in the Trinity for all eternity. It was everlasting love flowing between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And at one point, it was just too good. And God says, we got to open this thing up and create something else that can participate in this love. This is the essence of our existence. To participate in the love that flows between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right, so let me share a quote with you by a Catholic philosopher, theologian, still alive today, teaches on the East Coast, but I love this. He sums up what I've just said. It's being recorded, so you get to hear it. It's kind of in a condensed way. I've kind of given it to you in a very emotional way, and I'll get more emotional, I promise. Without qualification, his name is Peter Kreeft. Without qualification, without ifs, ands, or buts. God's word tells us straight, as a left jab, that love is the greatest thing there is. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Scripture never says God is justice or beauty or righteousness, though he is just, beautiful, and righteous. But God is love, 1 John 4, 8. Love is God's essence, his whole being, Everything in him is in his love. Everything in him is love. Even his justice is love. Paul identifies the justice of God in Romans 1.17 with the most unjust event in all of history, deicide, the crucifixion, for that was God's great act of love. If God is not a trinity, God is not love. For love requires three things. A lover a beloved, and a relationship between them. If God were only one person, he could never be a lover, but not love, he could be a lover, but not love itself. The father loves the son, the son loves the father, and the spirit is the, the love that proceeds from both, from all eternity. If, there, if that were not so, then God, would not need, then God would need us. He would be complete without us, without someone to love then his creating us would not be wholly unselfish, but selfish from his own need. I know that's a very theological statement, but let me try to establish this. Why do we believe in the Trinity? It is true that the Trinity is revealed. We believe that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all God. The Scripture teaches that. But you've got to understand that if God did not have a plurality within himself, he could not be love. Because love requires an object to love. And that would make God dependent upon his creation. And that is, God is not dependent upon anything. He is love, and that love is expressed within the Trinity. This is why Islam cannot be right, and Islam denies that God is love. Because for God to be love, that would mean he would need something to love, that would make him dependent upon his creation, and that would be something that would be unbecoming of God. He needs nothing. He is love within himself. I know that's a deep thought. Believe me, as you get older in life, even if you're in junior high school, I want you to know the Trinity is our glory. We do not shy away from this doctrine. 
we embrace it because only if God is triune can God be love. That's why we can tell every other religion on the planet, you do not know love because you only can know love if you know God. It's what 1 John says. That means that everything that out there that people say is love is not love. It's a counterfeit. The only way that you can know love is to actually be in relationship with the person who is love. And so this is, this is why it is so important that we gaze into and we reflect on this beautiful doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And I don't shy away from it. And I work with people that deny it. I work with Muslims. They deny the Trinity. They say this is heresy or whatever. The cults say the same thing. And we shy away. We've allowed them, oh, I don't want to talk about the Trinity. It's so complicated. No, it's not complicated. God cannot be love if he's not a triune being. And so this is a very, very, very important thing that we get established. We want to glory. We will be discovering the depths of the love in the Holy Trinity forever and ever and ever. You want to know what we're going to be doing in heaven? You want to know what we're going to be doing in the eternal state? We are going to be exploring the depths of this love that we are only tasting at this point in time. That's why what Jeremy said is so true. You will never regret giving God everything as we are swimming in the depths and we, you got to understand something. Because we are finite beings that have been created in the image of God, that because we belong to Christ means that we will live forever, we will ever be discovering the depths of this love. We will never stop learning about it. We will never be after a billion years in his presence. We will, we will not even have explored even a fraction of this love. That's why Jesus, with such audacity, can say, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must give up this life because I'm offering you something for all eternity. You just have to give up this life and give, give your life to me. Now, of course, by giving our lives to him, we live this life to the full. But I'm telling you, when Jesus was saying, forget this world, this world is passing away, I'm offering you something, there will be no regrets. The only, the only regret that any of us will ever have is that we didn't give him more. Because when we begin to understand, that's why we have to get the eternal perspective. We have to get the eternal perspective. We have to live realizing that this life is but a vapor in comparison to living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in his presence. He's not asking very much. Give up 75 years. Give up living in darkness. I mean, some of us, some of us know that the devil's a liar and that if you give your life to him, some of us did that for a season. And none of us will look you in the eye and say, man, I miss those days. He's a liar and he's a thief. Man, I miss those days. Nobody's saying that. Some of us in this room, go to the older people and say, tell me a little bit about what it was like living for the, the loser. He loses, you know. 
It's like Chris Valentin at Bethel. Um, he was sitting next to a, a witch on the plane one time, and he wanted to start up a conversation about spiritual things. And this was a person who was, you know, a witch. And he said, Chris's opening line to this person was, so what's it like working for a loser? Talk about Pandora box opening up. Only Chris Valentin could get away with that. So what does Mike Bickle say about this? I love Mike Bickle. If you don't like, if you don't love Mike Bickle, first of all, you will love him because you're being transformed in the image of of a lover. But anyway, I love Mike Bickle, and so I'm going to quote a little bit of Mike. But you're going to love what Mike says because, well, he's agreeing with what I'm what I've just been saying. He says this. Abiding in love is the ultimate reality of the kingdom of God. I mean, Mike, I've got Mike on record saying, of all the things that Mike's into, prayer and fasting and harp and bowl and all this stuff, if some of you guys are IHOP fans and you love Missy Edwards and you love whatever, you've been to the One Thing Conference, I don't care. Mike says this, the ultimate reality in the kingdom of God is abiding in his love. You know? Now, It's a pretty extreme statement, all the other emphasis. Mike says this, the first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, is the number one first priority and the greatest commandment, according to the Old Testament and according to the New. It's the greatest commandment. It is the number one agenda in the kingdom, and listen to this. This would be a word for the storehouse and all the stuff that you guys are into, and I don't know half of it. But whatever else God is saying, he's always saying this, abide in my love. Whatever else you're into, whatever else God is doing in your life, whatever other track he's got you in, and let's face it, some of us, we're in a season where God is teaching us one thing. Others of us are in a season where he's emphasizing something else. Whatever else he's doing in your life, and I believe he's probably doing all those things, he's always doing this. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Whatever else he's saying to you, he's always saying that. It's it's two speakers. That one speaker, abide in my love, will never be turned off. It is what we will be swimming in for all eternity. All right. So, now, I told you I was going to give you a verse that won the tipping scale over... Is God primarily power, majesty, control, sovereign, or is he primarily love? And I think I I found the verse that wins the the arm wrestle between the two. Because there are a lot of verses that emphasize his power and his glory and his majesty and his his sovereign control over everything. There are a lot of verses. But I'm going to say that this verse, this is something the Lord showed me just recently. It says that we are to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. This is something Mike Bickle unpacked for me. He says, why are we supposed to do that? Because that is how God loves us. God loves you with all of his heart with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength and power. Power is in subordination. 
It's in submission to his love. It doesn't say that God's strength is manifest through his love. It says that God's love is manifest through his strength. So, did I just say that the opposite? Anyway, you got my meaning. I'm sorry. Sorry if I'm getting confusing. My point is, God loves you with all of his strength. His prime desire, his prime thing is that he's loving you. How? With all his strength. I believe that that verse right there helped me settle this for the rest of my life. That love trumps power. Love trumps control. I've already illustrated that in relationships, human relationships, we all prefer lovers to hyper-controlling individuals. Anybody married in here? Yeah. I mean, there is, the Holy Spirit is in the Trinity. He's not the person you're married to. There's one Holy Spirit. Sometimes I tease my wife and I say, honey, I have two Holy Spirits in my life, you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be the Holy Spirit. You don't need another one. All right. So let me share this passage. I know I, I want to get to the Middle East and stories about Muslims getting touched by this love and stuff. I'll get there. And if I don't get there totally, you can ask me in the question and answer time because I love question and answers. And if I can't answer it, I'll say I don't know. But anyway, I want to read a passage out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't know if, if I mean, if you have your Bible, you want to turn there. Um, it's okay if you don't. I don't know if you put it up. I don't know how you're going to do it. Let me just read a couple of verses. So this is what the Lord helped me understand tonight. I've just made a case that at his very core, at his very essence, at the deepest level of who God is, he is love. And then Peter comes along and he exhorts us to become partakers of the divine nature. Okay, I'm going to read this verse to you. So let me read this passage just so you can see it in context. All right? I'm going to take off my glasses because I can't see anything in my Bible with my glasses on. I'll put them back on so I can see you again. All right. So 1 Peter 1. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, Seeing that his divine power, so power is being mentioned here, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, let me just stop on this verse because I saw something here. Some of us who've been around this whole tribe of the church of power and we love miracles and encounters and all that stuff, It says right here that because of this divine power that has been granted to you, you already have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Right now. So here's the deal. You are X-Men. Who likes X-Men movie? Who watches those things and thinks, I kind of wish I was an X-Men. I kind of wish I had some crazy power that was like supernatural. Okay, I want you to know, I want, I mean, this junior higher here, we got one junior higher. I want you to know that in church today, somebody told you that we are all X-Men. And I'm not trying to be sexist here, X-Men and X-Women, but anyway, the the movie's called X-Men. 
You don't need another person to lay hands on you. You don't need another person to give you a new prophetic word. I'm putting a lot of people out of business here. I loved what Jeremy was saying about man of power with the hour. We're done with that. I'm so done with that. He lives inside of you. That means you are an X-man or woman. It says here that you have been granted everything pertaining to life and to godliness. It gets better as I go on in this passage. You lack nothing. If God lives inside of you, you are an X-man. You are nuclear. You are dangerous. And you just don't know it. Isn't that what believing is? Is that you finally realize, you wake, up one, you wake up one day and you realize, I lack nothing. The God, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of me. Do I need to say that again? The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. Am I establishing this X-Men thing? I'm just trying to be relevant with the culture. Whatever it is next month. I love X-Men. I love these movies. I love these Marvel things. You are Thor. Some of you women are like, I want Thor. I tell my wife, I am Thor. She says, but you don't quite look like Thor. It's okay. You lack nothing. You are an X-Man. I mean, this sounds like a very extreme thing, but if we believe the Bible, this is actually true. You're an X-Man, dude. Just, you just got to realize it. Now, he's, he doesn't even, he's not even like tracking with me, like the speaker's talking to me. He's telling me I'm a superhero. I need to get this on Instagram soon. This is weird. Somebody's going to walk out of here and they're going to believe this. And the rest is going to be history. You know who our men and women of faith are in the kingdom? They're people that got a hold of this. And they actually started to believe it. You don't need another conference. You are the conference. I'm not laying hands on anybody tonight. What can I do? You're nuclear already. I will lay hands on you to break it out of you. That's what I will lay hands on people to do. I can't give you anything. You lack nothing. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is in you. I'm not even to the verse I wanted to start with yet. I'm going to keep going here. I get on these tangents, but sometimes God's in those tangents. So here we go. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence... For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, I spent 15 minutes at the beginning of this message establishing that the divine nature is love. And that is your assignment How many people like tests that have one question? How many people like assignments that have one task? You have one task in the kingdom. It is to become a partaker of the divine nature. 
It is to become love. God is love, and you are to become like him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. You look at the life of Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. What Jesus did is what we're supposed to do. He was in perfect communion with his Father, and he was partaking of the divine nature. He, was, he of course, was divine in nature, but he was partaking of the love of the Trinity and manifesting it in life. Do you want to know why we heal the sick? Because it is an expression of his love. You want to know why we cast devils out of people? It's because it's an expression of his love. You want to know why you're nice to people? You want to know why you listen to your spouse? You want to know why you don't act out of selfish ambition? You want to know why you don't give yourself to ungodliness? You want to know why you speak the truth? You want to know why you are anything that God requires? It's because it's an expression of his love. That's it. There is one question on the test. Did you learn to love? You know the story of Bob Jones, some of you. He had an encounter. One question on the test. Not did you learn doctrine. Not that you did this or you did that. Did you learn to love? Love never fails. If you love, you have fulfilled the law. I'm telling you, it's in the Bible, guys. It's real simple. My message tonight is one message. Become love. Why? Because God is love. And you have been made a partaker of the divine nature. i got to go on here. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, this is a list of kind of how we're growing in this life. Get, what's at the end of this list? Guess what's at the end of the list? Love. Thank you. I just saw it tonight. I love it. It always leads to love. Why? Because that's who started the whole thing. Love. It starts with love. It ends with love. It's all about love. You want to know why hell is real? There's a lot of people out there that want to think that if you emphasize God's love, you'll eradicate hell. You want to know why love? Love requires that there's a hell. Because Love is not forced on anybody. God's not forcing anybody into this relationship. He's welcoming people in. And he gives people freedom to say no. The reason that there has to be a hell is because of love. Love does not seek its own. Love doesn't coerce. How many people have been forced to do something by somebody who said they loved you? I remember when I was a teenage boy. I used to tell girls, if you love me finish the sentence. It's not love. That's selfishness. It's perversion. Love never, ever seeks its own. Some guy tells you, girl, man, if you loved me, you look at him and say, you have no idea what love is. It's nothing to do with love. Love doesn't seek its own. Love gives expecting nothing in return. If anybody is ever expecting something from you and they use love in the same sentence, tell them they're lying. Love gives expecting nothing in return. Last year, my grandparents-in-law died. 
they died about six months apart. And they were married for 58, six, no, more than 60 years. He was 95 when he died, my grandpa-in-law John, and his wife Neville died six months before. What I saw in the last year of her life was love in action because she was unable to walk. She didn't remember anything. And every day, my grandfather-in-law would go. He was living with us at first, and then he had a stroke, and then they moved in together into the, into the kind of the nursing home. So cute. But every morning he'd wake up. He was living with us. We were home in the summer because we live in the Middle East, but we're home in the summer. And she was in the nursing home already because she couldn't really take care of herself and, and she needed the extra care. And so he'd wake up in the morning and he's, you know, he's 93 at this point, 94. And we'd have breakfast together. And um, he's a very noisy eater. And from the moment he'd wake up, when am I going to be with Neville? When am I going to be with Neville? He'd ask it 10 times because his memory was going to. He'd had a slight stroke. And, and so um, then after breakfast, we would get in the car and we would drive him to the nursing home. And from 8 in the morning until 8 at night, he would sit by her side. And he would never leave her. And he would never, he, he would always be within earshot of her. And I realized, because some of us are young and we're married and we, we, have, we have a, you know, I mean, my, Michael here, I've been living with he and Sarah this, this weekend or for the l- last couple nights and they're newlyweds, a year married. And I've been married for quite a, quite a few years. But, you know, in marriage, you know, it's give and take and it's two whatever. And I'm looking at my grandfather-in-law and I'm saying, this is unbelievable. She can give him nothing. She can't remember anything. She can't walk, forget any kind of marital intimacy. And he was there every day for 14 hours because love gives, expecting nothing in return. That's love. It's not what fill in your famous actor and what Hollywood's saying. You know what love is? It's my grandpa-in-law, John, sitting next to his wife, Neville, unwilling to leave her side. And then you understand what Jesus meant when he said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. We got to get a bigger vision for love. I mean, I love all those romantic movies, but Hollywood has lied to us and has counterfeit things, and I love the love stories as much as anything, but you want to know the one that moved me probably more than anyone? Did you see the notebook? Did you see the, the husband who would love the wife? I mean, that's a, that's a, I'm not recommending the notebook. It's a, I saw it in the Middle East. It had been edited. It's a little bit rough here. I'm not going to lie to you. So don't say, I'm not endorsing everything that's in that, but I saw it in, in an edited form um, because sometimes we watch stuff in the Middle East, it's edited. I come here, I'm like, whoa, fast forward, you know. 
But what hit me in that film was the way he loved her, even when she couldn't remember him or any of their memories. You got to understand something. We get glimpses in this world, in this age, of what love really looks like. But I feel like I learned more about love watching my grandpa-in-law love his wife. I said, that's love. I don't, that's an image I can, I, you know, I mean, it wrecked me. I spoke at his funeral. We just had his memorial service. He died in December, but we didn't have the memorial service. And I stood up and I said, I learned more about love from watching him love her. And, and, and I, was, I was so impacted by what I saw. It was love in action. It really was. I know it's hard for some of us to relate to that. We're young, we're healthy and all that stuff, but we've got to get a vision for what love really is. It's all defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But anyway, I've got to finish this little passage here. I haven't even looked at the time. I'm getting scared. So anyway, self-control and to self-control, I've got to take off my glasses again. Perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And he sums it up. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, how do I know that he ends with love? Because he goes on to say, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that's a very important part of what I'm trying to say tonight. Just, just listen to are increasing. He goes on to say, let me just jump down. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just let me jump down to this. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You want to know? You want to know how you will never stumble. How many people in here would be really interested in knowing how to live a life where they never stumble? Peter gives you a prescription. If you learn to love, you will never stumble. That's, that's, a, that's an awesome promise. If you, if you learn how to love, you will never stumble. But love is something that we must grow in. There's a lie going on out there in the body of Christ right now. I don't mean to be Mr. Nasty here, but there's a lie. And there's a lie that's being taught that you've already arrived. Now, I've already told you that you have everything. So that's a truth. But you must see this participation in an ever-increasing measure. In other words, becoming love is a process. Can God accelerate that process? Absolutely. I've heard about some of the encounters that, Jeremy, you mentioned, some of those encounters that you had. God, in a moment, can encounter you, and he can accelerate you. He could give you, in five minutes, what would take five years to grow in. So God, those are special impartations of grace. But I want to tell you, the language of Paul, the language of the New Testament, is I have not yet attained it. I'm in process. There's people out there that want to tell you that you're already mature. I want to tell you, if you look like Jesus, you are mature. And I think all of us in this room, if we just want to put our life in a mirror and set it next to the matchless life of Jesus, we would all acknowledge that we still have a ways to go. So I just want to, I don't want to discourage you, but I want to tell you that we grow in love. It is a process. So I'm going to shut up now about love. I think I've established it. I, I, 
I have every New Testament author says the same thing. I, I mind the New Testament. I seriously have an hour more on love that, that would just scratch the surface. But now I want to I switch gears because I need to talk a little bit about what we're trying to do as we love Muslims and as we love anybody in front of us. You see, some of us want to be fruitful in this life. We want to be useful to God. And I want to tell you that when you walk out of this room, even in this room, but when you walk out of this room, God has one assignment for you. It is to become love and to express that love to each and every person that walks in front of you. That's what Jesus actually did. Love itself came out of the Trinity and came to the planet to show us what love is. And then he died to show us the ultimate thing. So, I want to tell you that there's, in the Old Testament, there was 632, I believe, commandments that they added up. 632 commandments. And then you come marching into the New Testament and Jesus says, there's only two that matter. But two is still complicated. Because which one are you going to emphasize? Do you know Paul narrows it down to one? Paul says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfilled the law. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you, I mean, all of the gospels say that. If you do these two things, you fulfilled the law. I think that after a couple years of church history going on, the Trinity was up there thinking a little bit. Way too complicated. Two commandments, way too complicated. We got to narrow it down to one. And then Paul gives us, I'm not lying to you. This is what Paul says. I mean, he narrows it down to what? He says this. Well, first of all, you know Peter who I just read? Peter said this, above all, at the end of this epistle that I was just reading, above all, keep fervent in your love. If somebody says above all, that means above everything else I've just said, keep fervent in your love. Remember I told you Mike Bickle said abiding in the love is Abiding in love is the central, most important thing in the kingdom. Peter agrees with Mike Bickle. Hey, Mike Bickle never wrote a book in the Bible. But Peter's the guy who said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love. I just highlighted that. James, the brother of the Lord, wasn't even a believer during Jesus' earthly ministry. He became a believer afterwards. He says this, James 2.8, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. James, the author of the book of James, he narrows it down. He says there's one royal law, and it's loving your neighbor as yourself. I got Jude here. I got Paul. Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.5, if you've heard Dan Moeller, you've heard him say this a thousand times. The goal of our instruction is love. Paul was a teacher. He taught doctrine. He, t- he wrote epistles to churches to instruct them. And he says the goal of all of it is love. That's the goal of all of what I've taught you is love. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not lying to you. Paul summed it up. He says everything. You love Romans, you love Ephesians, you love Colossians. Guess what? The goal of all of this is that you would love. I I hope I'm really getting through with this love thing. I hope I'm getting through. Anyway, so um, Galatians 5, 6. (laughs) For Christ Jesus, 
For in Christ Jesus, uh, and this is unbelievable. If anybody ever says to you the only thing that matters, whatever follows that's going to be important, right? Paul said that. He said, for in Christ Jesus, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. Why did I go to Bible school and seminary? Why did I get all this training? They didn't tell me this. This would put seminaries out of business. We call them cemeteries sometimes because people go there to die. Sorry, it's an old joke, but still seems to get the laughs. For in Christ Jesus, the only thing that matters is love. But here it is, Galatians 5.14. Paul says the whole law is summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said it twice. Twice. He wrote it twice, just in case, you know, some people say, well, you know, you only say think something once. He said it twice. Some of you parents, if you say something twice, that's it. Paul said it twice. The goal of our instruction is love and love your neighbor as yourself. Sums up the whole law. All right, so let me just talk to you about what this looks like. Because I believe as you walk out of here, and if you see somebody limping, you're an X-Men. Remember I told you that, right? You within you have the power to heal the sick. Now, some of you don't believe that yet, and your experience does not back that up. That's why we train and equip people. I told Michael, Michael and I were having a name that tune. I said, how quickly can you take an unbeliever who gets saved at the upper room and have them equipped to heal the sick? We were having a little bit of a name that I can name that tune in three notes. I can name it in two notes. This is dating me a little bit, but some of you that are a bit older, you remember name that tune. Anyway, we can take an unbeliever in our ministry. We take somebody who's just gets saved, and within a week, they're healing the sick. That's right, within a week. So if some of you have been saved for more than a week and you're not healing the sick, come to Jeremy and say, Jeremy, I need to go with the program. You didn't tell me I could do this within a week. (laughs) Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jeremy's a leader here. So Jeremy can say, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want to tell you right now, Jeremy, I mean, I'm putting him on the spot because I'm, I'm going back to California and I'm going to be doing this in California, but I want to tell you right now. Some of you are like, hey, I, I'm behind the ball. I'm not healing the sick. I was told I was an X-Men and you're going to show me how to release this stuff. Follow him around. Go drink coffee with him. Go to restaurants. And then Jesus said, if I don't do the works of my father, don't believe me. If you follow Jeremy around, I'm going to go ahead and be biblical here. If you follow Jeremy around and he's not doing the works of Jesus, then don't believe him anymore. I tell Muslims this, if I don't do the works of Jesus, then I don't want you to believe me. Paul said, I don't want your faith to rest on wise and persuasive words. I mean, I can preach. I was an evangelical before I was a charismatic. I learned how to preach there. But I'm not so interested in my ability to preach. I'm just a hyper person. I drank a lot of coffee today, and some of what you're seeing is that. It's coffee. It's not the anointing. It's coffee. The anointing's there, but there's also coffee. I'm just coffee... It's okay. It's okay. I'm an X-Men who's addicted to caffeine. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You walk out of here. First John says, if he who has the world's goods. Now he's talking in the context of if you have money. 
Some of us have money, we have resources. He who has the world's goods and sees a brother in need and does not help him, how can he say the love of God is within him? This is 1 John. So here's my thing. You walk out of here and you have the ability to heal the sick because you're an X-Men because the Holy Spirit lives within you. Have you ever heard that in a sermon that you're an X-Men? Maybe you have. I just think it's a pretty cool way to remember the sermon. You're an X-Men to express love. So you have power to heal the sick. And you walk out of here and you see somebody limping by. And you don't approach them with what you have. How can you say the love of God is abiding within you? Is there an ouch there? It's a little bit of an ouch. I can always tell where my love gauge is at if I let somebody get by me who's hurt. And I can always tell when I'm doing well and that I'm overflowing out of love when all I want to do is just heal the sick and love everybody in front of me. It is so easy to tell if you're tapped into the lover. You see, he won't let you get away from him. You cannot manifest love unless you're abiding in his love. You can go away. Some of us, how many people in this room have gotten away from the Lord a little bit in ministry, you're not intimate with the Lord, and you're trying to do ministry out of your own strength, and it's like horrible, you know? It's like sleep deprivation. It's like a torture to try to do the work of ministry, not a binding. So the great thing about supernatural ministry is you can do squat unless you're dependent upon him. See, a lot of ministry out there can be done in your own strength. But supernatural ministry requires that you're connected to the supernatural power source. And so because he lives within you and because you abide in his love, you can heal the sick. So you see how easy this assignment becomes. So I live in the Muslim world. Now I'm going to shift. I told you I was going to talk about the Muslim world, so now I'm going to shift. I'll tell a couple stories. So we live in a part of the world where we have malls and Starbucks and all the stuff that you have here, except the people that are inhabiting these restaurants and malls happen to be from all over the world, mostly from the Muslim world. And so what you do in the malls here, we do in the malls there. We walk into a mall. I like Starbucks. I already told you I have a caffeine issue. You can pray for me to be delivered, but I believe it's, I don't want to be delivered from it. <laughs> um, anyway, my wife wishes I would cut back, be a half-calf guy. Um, but anyway, so we take this out, and we seek to just love whoever's in front of us. I do not like, I told Jeremy before, I don't like the word evangelism, because it conjures up, you know, Let's get out the tracks. Let's cram a message down somebody's throat. I do not go and heal the sick so that I can then cram a message down their throat. I heal the sick because healing the sick is the loving thing to do. If you see somebody who is hurting and you have the power to take their pain away, I cannot think of anything that is more loving than to go up to a perfect stranger and say, how would you like that pain to leave right now for free? There's a way. You have to be trained. Most of what I train people how to do is how to actually walk up to people and engage them. There's an art in that. Once you're in, you're in. That's the big barrier for a lot of us. Some of us are already afraid of our own shadows. 
And so going up to a total stranger, to whatever. So there's growing in this process. But I want to tell you, you can be compelled by love. One of the reasons, Kevin Dedman at Bethel makes this point, one of the reasons that God pours out the wine of his spirit, how many people in here have experienced some of the wine of the Holy Ghost? One of the reasons he argues, one of the reasons he argues that God gives the wine is because wine actually helps you overcome your inhibitions. And so there's, when you're, when you're a little bit inebriated with the wine of the spirit, you are less afraid to approach people and release things. You know, some of us can remember in the natural when we used to be drunk. It's been many, 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 many years for me back when I was a teenager, but I still remember telling total strangers how much I love them and girls that I studied with in class that I wanted to marry them and all sorts of things that you say under the influence of that type of spirit. That's why the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so, we walk, I want to share with you, I have one story I I wanted to read to you here just to tell you what this might look like. And we write stuff down because exaggeration is another form of lying. Um, A lot of people tell stories and they exaggerate, and that's just lying um, to make stuff up. (laughs) It's lying. So, um, we all know that. But anyway, So one of the reasons we write stuff down is so that, how many people know that if you tell a story over and over and over and over again, it can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? And embellished, embellished. Anyway, our memories aren't perfect, so we write stuff down. So let me tell you what it looks like. I'm just going to read you a story that we wrote um, about a night where some of us in our community went out. How many people like to go to restaurants? Yeah, we're in Texas. That's like, how many people breathe air? Um. You guys have so many restaurants here, it's unbelievable. Anyway, a group of us with our families decided to go to an Iranian restaurant to eat some of our favorite food and to spill God's kingdom on those around us. You see, if you are filled with his love, then you have something to spill on people. That's why I argue, fill and spill. My evangelism training model is fill and spill. That's it. We're going to go spilling. Some of our team got into the hole. We want to go treasure hunting. I'm like, you know, that's a Bethel thing. We're fill and spill. Okay? <laughs> Tell Bill we're fill and spill. Anyway, I'm going. So it's okay. I, I like treasure hunting. It's, it's their, the model that Kevin and his team kind of developed, and we utilize it to some extent. But I like to simplify things because the whole treasure map thing, it becomes a little bit complicated if you train it. God, God bless it. Keep going with it. But anyway, we fill and we spill. So... I knew it would be a good night when we were walking into the restaurant and I got a word of knowledge, right ankle for a Gulf Arab Muslim woman. So a woman totally shrouded in black is, and my wife and I are team. I, would, I wouldn't approach the woman if I'm with my wife. So I walk by and I say, honey, that woman's got a right ankle problem. And so my wife went up to her. Anyway, let me read the story so I'm not uh, changing it. I got a word of knowledge, right ankle for a Gulf Arab Muslim woman walking by. My wife ministered to her for about 20 minutes. Um, so we went inside. Inside, we began ministering to the Iranian Muslim employees. First, the right arm was healed. Then the same man's left arm was healed. I prayed for the right arm, and another prayed for the left arm. Because of the propensity for Muslims to zero in on a single person with a gift, three or four of us were praying for the sick. Next, a back problem is healed. 
Another man with a hand and wrist problem comes out. He's healed. At this point, they are asking for our phone numbers and asking us if we can go and visit some of their others who need miracles. An aunt who hasn't walked in 10 years. A woman with severe scoliosis back in Iran. These are the invitations we're getting. You know that people are generally being healed, genuinely being healed, when the invitations start rolling in. All in all, it was an amazing dinner for the kingdom, and the food was really good too. As we were leaving, we heard the quote of the day. As we were leaving, we overhear a Muslim employee after, many, after witnessing many healings responding to a question being asked by another Muslim customer who had just walked in. The Muslim asks, what's going on in here? Is there a doctor over there? He says, the employee replies, no, they are healers. Which one? The person replied, or the person asked. All of them, the Muslim man answered. All of them. I live, and I know this is what you guys are endeavoring to be as a community here. I live in a community where we believe that everybody is an X-Men. That means that everybody should be healing the sick. You don't want to stay in our community if you want to sit in a chair and just be a a, a person who sits on the wall like a fly and be entertained. That's not how we roll. There's too many people that are lost and need Jesus, so we believe everybody gets to play. Like this community here, I've noticed, there is a much higher percentage of women in this room than men. My wife leads a community of women. Our community is probably 70% women and 30% men. I don't know what it is about us men getting out of low gear, but the fact of the matter is the invitation to become X-Men is being answered by more women than men. Don't understand why that is. And you know what? God is happy to pour out his spirit on whoever answers the call because in Christ there is no nor male nor female. So whoever will answer the call. I want to see X-men raised up. But if it's the X-women that are going to be raised up first, so be it. So I'm going to stop right now, and I'm going to answer a few questions. Anything that I've said you want to ask about, I'll field a question. Is that cool? Okay, cool. All right. Do you want me to use this one? Yes, please. All right. I've been hearing a lot about Jesus coming to Muslims in dreams. Is that, are you experiencing that there? Every Muslim that we have seen come to Jesus has either come after they have had a vision or a dream. Everyone. Without exception. In fact, this one Muslim who wanted to come to Jesus just recently came to us and told us he wanted to become a Christian. And um, our friend Ben declared to him that you were going to have, Jesus was going to come to him because he's just so faithful to do it. We just need to start declaring that for Americans. Jesus is going to come visit you. So the next time I meet the guy, he's like, yep, Jesus came twice. I'm sorry, but I get a little bit jealous about this, you know? I have had very few encounters compared to my Muslim friends. Every, let me, let me just share one or two stories about Jesus coming and meeting people, okay? A Somalian Muslim that I met 
This is probably the most intense testimony I've ever heard. And he shared it at our mission agency's conference, um, which isn't a very charismatic mission agency overall. There are charismatics in it, but it's definitely not the, the, the predominant paradigm of our, of our mission agency. And he was a Somalian Muslim, and he was, um, there was an Ethiopian that was sharing the gospel with him, and he was considering what was being said. He was arguing with this guy anyway. He was in Kenya at the time when this happened, and he went to bed, and he wakes up, and he is eight feet off of his bed, one foot from the ceiling, and Jesus is right in his face. He became a Christian soon after that. <laughs> He's the only person that I've ever met who has met the Lord in the air. <laughs> Literally. Another Muslim man, um, an Iranian Muslim that I was, we had the privilege of being the very first Christians that he met in the flesh. And um, he had had an encounter with an angel. And um, the angel came to him. He had been listening to Christian radio and Christian tele- watching Christian television on the satellite. And um, the angel came to him. And um, we're, it, was either, it was either an angel or the Lord himself, but he didn't identify. But I think it was an angel after hearing the whole story. And the angel came to him and said, you are now clean. You've got to understand something. According to Islam, the most important thing that matters is are you ritually clean? It also would be a very important question to a Jew. It's not so much our deal, but when you are in a religion where everything is about being ritually pure and washing and all of that stuff, he was being told that you are clean forever. No Muslim believes that. They believe you have to work out through works and that hopefully on the last day you would be accepted into heaven as clean. He's being told beforehand that he's now clean. And we met him and he'd become a Christian. Um, because of an angel visiting him. Um, Every single Muslim that I know personally has had a visitation, either Jesus himself or an angel. Anyway, go ahead. Another question. More and more when I'm out, I see a lot of Muslim women, and a lot of them have even the the black, I don't know what you call it, when they're all covered up. Headscarf, yeah. Um, But I guess my thought is, I want to speak to them, but I almost don't know how to approach them. Um, I don't want to be arrogant or yeah. insulting anyway, but I want them to know, disrespectful, right. Yeah. But I also want them to know that Jesus loves them. Yeah. How, what, is there kind of a, I don't know, there's probably not a formula, but is there a... Well, first of all, I want to tell you that the Muslim women that you would meet here in Dallas are going to be far more open to you praying for their physical healing than most secular Texans would be. Because their worldview is a lot closer to the biblical one than the average American materialist. And then, of course, there's the whole deal of approaching somebody who's from a church who doesn't believe in healing, and you try to pray for them, and that can become a disaster, as you all know with maybe your more conservative brothers and sisters in Christ. I just want you to know that if you see a Muslim, if you see a Muslim woman limping or you see something that would indicate, we always go in with a miracle. The biblical model can be either that you proclaim something and that it's confirmed with the sign, wonder, or miracle, or sometimes it's a miracle that happens, and then there's the speaking. We take the miracle first, speaking l- later. I always try 
to demonstrate some act of love or kindness by bringing a healing, a word of knowledge, a prophetic revelation, something that would then communicate love to them and demonstrate the supernatural nature of the kingdom before I talk to them about anything. And then all of a sudden, you have something to talk about. How did you know that I had a back problem? They are usually more shocked that you knew that God revealed something to you. So one of the things that we train our people to do is how to hear from God and get words of knowledge. Because that's, that's generally how we go in. Or if I see somebody limping or a cast or something. Um, or, listen, I already told you that you're an X-Men, right? You believe that? Okay, good. So here's the thing. Just introduce yourself for who you really are. You might be a mother. You might be working. But these are secondary issues. You're an X-Men and you're a healer. You get, see, some of you are like, I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer, I'm a student. No, you're a healer and you're an exorcist, and that's who you are. Because I told you, you're an expert. Come on. So let's stop kidding ourselves and start introducing ourselves for who we really are. I'm an exorcist and a healer who happens to be an English teacher. You want to have a discussion with somebody about spiritual things? Just introduce yourself as a healer. Now, it can backfire when you introduce yourself as a healer to somebody who's raised in a church that doesn't believe in healing. That can just, 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 just flush that whole conversation. It's not going anywhere. You're done. I want to tell you, when I'm in California and I think the person's a new ager and I go in and I'm a healer and they're like, well, I go to such and such a you know, conservative uh, church that doesn't believe in miracles. I mean, I'm just, I could say a church name, but I just was being nice. At that point, I just say, bye-bye, and I run, because we're going nowhere. If I've just introduced myself as a healer, there's no recovery from that. But with Muslims, uh, or, or go out with another X-Men and get, you know, some of us are a little bit shy, but you can do this. Hi, my name's Dave, and this is my friend Michael, and he is a healer. <laughs> Which I will do the, yeah. to the EJS students. Yeah, yeah. No, or, or I... Michael, how many times have I said to someone, hi, I'm Dave, and this is my friend Michael, and he hears from God. And it, yeah, I did it today. <laughs> and just open a door. So you, if you recognize that you're with an X-Men and you're an X-Men, just whoever wants to say it first, hi, I mean, you, now all of a sudden now it's like I'm going to be fighting. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to say it first. He's the healer. <laughs> hi, we heal the sick. I see that you're limping. Um, could, you know, anyway, so I just want to tell you that and love never fails. You see, if you're being led by love and you're really being, you're not motivated by, oh, I want to be able to share a testimony next Sunday. There's all sorts of lesser motivations. I want to please Jeremy. I want Jeremy to think I'm a real X-Men. Jeremy knows you're an X-Men. You don't have to prove it. Okay? You want to be led by love. I'm just telling you, there's all sorts of motivations in the kingdom. You know? There's all sorts of lesser motivations. But love is the prime one. So you get driven by love, and then it's like, I can't help myself. I just have to heal the sick. I have to love people. You've got something to spill out. But that's how we would approach somebody. I know that's a long answer, but I hope that's helpful. But the whole introducing yourself as in, this is my friend and she's a healer, or get somebody else to say, could you introduce me as a healer? I need to get in here. You have the mind of Christ. That means there's no problem you don't have a solution for. That's something else you have to believe. God will give you a strategy. God, I want to get in with that person. I don't know how to do it. Um, do you think he might have an idea how that could happen? Do you think he might know a way in? Can you hear his voice? 
I'm just telling you, there is, and, and then he tells you, you have the mind of Christ. Oh, not only am I an X-Men, but I actually have the thoughts of God accessed. And I mean, you are logged in. You are online with heaven. With a full, like, whatever the greatest internet connection in the world is, you're there. The internet is actually going to help you understand theology. You are logged on. It is the worldwide web of miracles. You're online. Do you believe it? That's the question tonight. Do you believe what I'm saying? Or is this guy just yelling at us and he, I wish he'd stop? Anyway, another question. Lexi. What have you done when you have prayed for someone and they didn't get healed? Or like, what do you, what do, you do? How do you rectify that situation? Great. Well, yeah, because it happens. I'm growing in love, and I'm growing in, 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 in just, there's things we don't see healed very often, but I've never had somebody. I've never, ever had a Muslim who has been, or, or anybody for that matter, if I love them and they can sense love, because I want to tell you right now, the world has an ability to discern an agenda. Oh, yeah. And if you're not operating in love, they know it. You're selling something. You've got some other agenda. Just go in humility. Hey, I'm learning how to heal the sick. I, I believe I'm growing in this. You go with humility and love, you can't lose. Have you ever had a problem with somebody who's truly loving and truly humble? No. The only time people have ever had a problem with you and me is when we haven't been truly humble and we haven't been loving. Now, it is possible because Jesus only manifested love and they killed him. It is possible that people can react against it. But my experience is, is that even when people don't get healed, they are so touched. Because in the end, if love never fails and I manifest love, whether they get healed or not, I win. I can't lose because love never fails. Love never fails. So if you love, you win. We took out an atheist last summer. I wrote to a guy. I heard him on the radio. I wrote to him. I said, I want to come to Ireland because you said if you saw a miracle, you'd believe. So we went. And we went out on the streets in Dublin, and we prayed for the sick. And we saw people get healed. And we also saw people not get healed. And he didn't have explanations for the people that were healed. We just did a radio interview. If you want to hear it, it's all online. It's the lar largest Christian radio station out of the UK where we, we debriefed our evening together so you could hear his response and everything. But people got healed, and we made mistakes. And, I mean, in the sense that we, got, we thought we had a word for somebody, but maybe it wasn't right at times and stuff like that. And he commented on that. You know, he said, well, you weren't always so accurate with certain things. But at the end of it all, he said, what I saw in you guys and your team, and I had some from the upper room, actually, from Michael's fellowship here in Dallas. He said, I was deeply moved by the love that you showed for every person that you encountered. And at the end of it, when I heard that from him and we debriefed as a team, I said, guys, we won tonight. That was what we went in to do. I don't know what God's going to do. We see God heal the sick. He did heal the sick. I'm not sure what he saw, but as long as he saw love in action, that's it. So I just want to tell you that if you love, you never fail, and you will never fail. And if you go as a learner and you say, hey, I'm learning about this stuff, because let's face it, are we not learning? Have you tried to raise the dead? I have, because we're commanded to raise the dead. We've gone to the morgue. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. We've gone to the morgue because Jesus said to raise the dead. Who, who wants to obey everything Jesus said? I mean, we want to. So when, when we, we try to stop at car accidents, I mean, we want to be there. And that sounds weird, but I mean, we've tried to raise the dead. We have not been successful yet. We have not been successful yet. But we are going after everything. I mean, we've seen some blindness healed, and we've seen a lot of blind people not get healed. But Jesus said, the blind shall see, and the deaf shall hear. Not might hear, not could hear, but will hear. So we're growing. And so go as a learner. Go as somebody who's not yet arrived. And you know what? The world is attracted to humility. The world loves that when we come as learners and as, because you just love never fails. The Bible says it. Anyway, another question. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like God didn't want to heal that person because maybe he wanted them to go through a trial or tribulation, maybe for some reason? Uh, that's an interesting question. Let me see how, let me see how I'm going to answer that question. Um, what I see in the life of Jesus is that every person who came to Jesus in his ministry that asked him for healing, he, was, he healed. Every person. Now, we know... Or we can assume that there were people that Jesus at times walked by, maybe that he didn't heal. Just, but that would be an argument from silence. We don't know that. All I know is what I see in the Bible. I see that Jesus went into a town and it says he healed all who were sick and all who had diseases. You just do a little study on that word all. And, and I just want to tell you that the word all in Greek, it means all. Okay? Just in case somebody wants to say that all doesn't mean all. All means all. Paul, at the very end of his ministry, you see in Acts chapter 28, he's on the island of Malta. Doesn't even say Paul preached, but it says he healed everybody on the island who was sick. So, what I see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus healed everyone who came to him. So I'm, I'm endeavoring to be like Jesus. Do people not get healed? Yes. Are there reasons why sometimes people don't get healed? Yes, there are. Sometimes, especially within the family, there are things that can block our healing. If I'm walking in unforgiveness, it would send the wrong message. God wants to heal you. He wants you to release your unforgiveness. I remember I was out in Abilene, Texas with Michael. A couple of years ago, we were having a healing service at a big Baptist church out there. And a woman came up to me. She was like 70 years old. And she was bent over like this. And she had radical scoliosis. Sometimes scoliosis does this. Her spine was bent like this. And I just learned from Cheon um, that sometimes scoliosis can be related to unforgiveness and performance that has been put on you by somebody who never made you feel like you measured up. Some of you, you're like, if I have a back problem and you had a parent or a coach or even a husband or wife that's made you feel that way, you might want to explore this with the Lord if you have a back problem. But I said... Is there someone in your life that made you feel like you never measured up to their expectations and you're holding that against them? And she looked at me and she said, yes. I said, right now, I want you just to release that person. And so she did it in her own words. And she straightened up like this, right in front of my eyes. I'm like, it works! <laughs> so... There can be things like that. But I know Jesus said, go into 
every city that you enter and heal the sick that were there. So which city? Everyone. Heal who? The sick. Pretty simple. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. Whatever city you enter, which city? Whatever city. Heal who? Just the sick. I, I, couldn't, I don't think the Bible could be any clearer. I find it very interesting, I, I just want to say this for the record, that my friends that don't believe in healing and actually, quite frankly, don't see healing, I had 15 years of ministry where I didn't believe in healing and I didn't see any. Okay? So I've got 15 years before and 15 years after. I want to tell you I'm never going back to that non-X-Men Christianity. I was an X-Men, I just didn't know it. I'm not going back there. Powerless Christianity sucks. Do you know how fun it is to cast devils out of people? I don't know if you've ever had that privilege. It is awesome to cast devils out of people. Tertullian, in the second century, he has this great quote. He said, casting devils out of unbelievers, healing the sick and performing miracles. These are our pleasures as Christians. Holy, just, and free. You want to tell people, well, what are you into? I cast devils out of people. You want to have a spiritual discussion with someone? Tell them you're an exorcist. I introduce my wife as one. Hi, I'm Dave. This is my wife. She is an exorcist. I say it in Arabic. I'm saying it in Arabic. I'm saying it in Arabic. Sitch? Really? Hey. I'm just telling you what I said. She heals. She casts devils out of people. Really? Do you think she could help my aunt? Some of you know people that have devils. They're everywhere. We medicate people with devils. Jesus did two things that I see in his life. Three things. He preached the message of the kingdom. He healed the sick. And he exercised demons. Jesus had like three, a three-part job description. Isn't it interesting that 2,000 years later, most Christians aren't doing two out of the three things? So, there is nothing more fun. I don't care what you're doing. Casting devils out of people is a lot of fun. It just is fun. And you're an X-Men. It's, I, just want, I just want to cast a vision. I, I, these guys are laughing, like as if I'm not serious. I mean, I'm not kidding. I know you know I'm serious, but you're like, I can't believe this guy's actually saying this. Like in church. Like is the microphone on. Casting devils out of people is more fun than any extreme. I'm, I'm really into extreme sports. I climb. I do extreme skiing. I'm, I body surf. I surf. I'm into all that stuff. And nothing is as fun as casting devils out of people and healing the sick. It just tops it. And getting words of knowledge for people. Anyway. Uh, do we have time for more questions? Yeah, let's do questions until it? 10. And oh, I, I'd love okay. for you to pray for us, like you All said, right. just okay. unlocking okay. the X-Men within. All right. <laughs> the inner X-Men. So on the news, we're seeing that ISIS has taken over Syria and Iraq. What do we need to know about that? Well, you know, I was, uh, I missed my flight um, yesterday. Was it yesterday I flew in? Yeah. <laughs> I missed my flight yesterday. It was canceled in one airport, and then um, I had to have a taxi. American Airlines gave me a voucher to get into a taxi, and I happened to get into a taxi with a Middle Eastern Muslim who wanted to convert me to Islam. Boy, was that an interesting taxi drive. 
Uh, right. So anyway, we began to talk about the Middle East and everything, and I started talking about the radicals. And um, he was trying to say, yeah, those people are, um, you know, that's not true Islam. I said, you know, actually, I, I know the Quran and I know the Hadith, and, and I started to quote certain passages from the Quran and the Hadith. I believe that these are the people that are actually living out what the Quran and the Hadith teach, the, the traditions of Islam. And so um, what we're seeing, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the true face. The Bible says that everything that is in secret will be revealed. So you've got all sorts of this, this whole agenda here in North America. We have these American Muslims that are trying to tell. Now, most of your Muslim friends are peaceful people. But I want to say this clearly. It is not a religion of peace. So what we're seeing, I believe, is the beginning of the greatest harvest that we'll ever see in the Middle East. Because what these radicals are doing is people are saying, if this is Islam, I don't want anything to do with it. So the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran, when he took power in 1979, became the greatest single missionary to the Iranian people in all of history. More Iranians have come to Jesus in the last 25 years than in all of history before that because of this radical Islamic revolution. And if you want to see the easiest people you will ever see come to Christ who are Muslim, go meet a Persian or an Iranian. And I, I can just tell you, I mean, three days ago in California, ministering to Iranians, they are absolutely wide open. Now, tragically, many of them are being influenced by the cults and other things, but I'm just telling you, they are just wide open to the gospel. So I believe that what we are going to see in the... So as, as disturbing as this is, that this ISIS group has raised up and they're just... What's going to happen in Iraq is that the Shiites in the south are not going to let Iraq be run over by Sunni radicals. So essentially, the situation in Iraq is going to stabilize because the radical Shiites in the south who are supported by Iran, who we didn't like, are now actually going to solve or at least bring a check and a balance in Iraq. And it's not going to require somebody coming in from the outside to actually get involved in that situation. But what's happening is it's creating the greatest refugee problem that we've seen in, in, in recent history. Thousands and thousands of Iraqis and Syrians are being displaced right now. And moving across borders, moving into Kurdistan in the north, trying to get away from this horde of people that are just killing people, you know. And I would say that we have an opportunity to pray for the kingdom of God. Right now there are Christians all along the borders that are ministering, and there needs to be more medicine and also the gospel in, in Jordan, in Syria, in Turkey, in Kurdistan. It's a tremendous opportunity right now for the gospel. Um, I know that it's more complex than what I'm saying, but that's my read on the situation. A couple more questions, maybe? So what was your turning point from powerless to powerful? And how would you, how can I promote a person who, um, it, who is not believing in, you know, the miracles and things like that. How can I promote him to... How can you help that person? Yes. Well, first of all, if somebody doesn't want to believe in the supernatural, 
Jesus said to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I used to argue with my more conservative friends. And there are so many people that are so hungry for this stuff, I don't have time to waste. I, I mean, I've got friends that will hold me in check because I will, I'll get so angry with someone sometimes like, oh, I just want to go and argue with that person or whatever. And it's like, Dave, just, just forget it. There's so many people that are hungry to move in this stuff. So I would say, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, but I take people out all the time and I say, I know that you don't believe my stories because there's people that honestly, they say, Dave, you're writing all these things and you share all these things and I actually don't believe you. And I say, let's go to a mall. And I give you the miracle back guarantee. We don't go back until you see a miracle. Because we're X-Men. I have never taken somebody out to a mall and God didn't do something. And even if he didn't, I would go out and I would love people and I would model love. And I would then apologize to the person that I've misrepresented Jesus to them. Because I know that Jesus healed everyone who ever came to him. And so when I pray for someone and they don't get healed, I apologize to them that I have not been able in that moment and that time to accurately represent Jesus to them. Now, this makes some of my Christian friends uncomfortable. If it makes you uncomfortable, I give you the freedom to disagree with my perspective on this. But if Jesus, here's my thinking. If Jesus was with me, would that person still be unhealed? I mean, every Christian should have to kind of, you kind of feel obligated to say no. Jesus would get them healed. He never failed to get anybody healed. Even a bad day for Jesus was, you know, where it says... He could do no mighty miracles in Nazareth. Remember that? Because of their unbelief. What did he do there? He healed the sick. Whoops. Bad day for Jesus was healing the sick. He could do no mighty miracles because of their unbelief, but he could just heal the sick that were there. So when I don't see something happen, I will apologize that I have not accurately represented Jesus. What will that do for me? I will go back before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't, want to, I don't ever want to misrepresent you. I always want to represent Jesus. I want, Jesus said in the same way that the Father has sent me, I send you. It's a very interesting little phrase in, in the original language. In the very same way that Jesus was sent, you are sent. We are so without excuse, brothers and sisters. We are so X-Men. We are so X-Men, we just don't believe it. And we've got to grow in it. I pray, Lord, don't give me more of your power than the love that I'm flowing in can handle. This is an important thing for those of you that have moved in some power. Because we can look across the body of Christ and I could name five people off the top of my head that moved in power but didn't have the love to, to handle that power. And it destroyed them. So my argument is, the only thing that can contain God's power and keep us from that power destroying us or leading us astray is to be compelled by love. The Bible says the only thing that we should be controlled by is the love of Christ. To be led by the Spirit, to be, to be controlled by the love of Christ. So I believe that love is the balance or the, the environment in which God's power can, can flow. So, 
if I can't get somebody healed for whatever reason, I will then bring in somebody else or I will try to refer them to somebody else who I believe will, will maybe see more. So that would be my approach with someone. I, you know, they can re- if somebody's into academics, they will read the books. But there's nothing better than come and see. Let's go to the mall. Where do you go? Where do you shop? Where do you go to coffee? Okay, let's go there. And you show them what it looks like. So, Jeremy would be happy to either take you personally or assign a sister to go with you to train you in that because you just don't, you, you know, you just need to grow in the belief of this X-Men nature of who you really are. Anyway, another question. Ooh, I love it. Um, so I live in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and um, I, I moved there last September, and I've just been home for three days, so my thoughts are a little jumbled. But I think the biggest thing as you were talking is how, when you first moved there, um, how, how have you lived in the culture and trying to honor and respect them, and yet with all the rules that are such a harness that are on you. How did you how did you be fully you and who God has made you to be and not feel like you're crushed in this little bitty tiny box? Well I just want you to know, because she's just mentioned Saudi Arabia. Um I have done this in Saudi Arabia. I have lived in Yemen, Oman, Qatar, Kuwait, Syria, and Jordan, and I've done it in all of these places. So I just want you to know that location is not the issue, okay? I would tell you right now, the Lord is going to give you a strategy in Saudi how to pray for the sick. Now, I didn't go into any training, but we have a model. I wouldn't say a model, but some things that we go by. When I pray for the sick, and we do it in public, we do it in malls, under CC cameras. Because that's where every, every mall is covered in cameras. We do not lay hands on the sick when we pray for them in public. We have them lay hands on themselves, or we have their friend lay hands on them. How many people know that when an unbeliever lays friends' hands on another unbeliever, and that person gets healed and the power of God flows over an unbeliever, it's a two-for-one? We've learned that it's, it's just better when an unbeliever can actually see their first miracle happen kind of through them or around them before they're even saved. So, in Saudi Arabia... Because we pray for the, the, the women that live in the country where we live are just, they're all Saudis. That's where they come from. So we pray for them. And the thing is, is that what you're going to find out as you meet them, and there's some that will want to argue Islam and, and push that down your throat. But when they find out that you can heal the sick, you are going to become the most popular person in your circle. My wife, who speaks Arabic and is, we've lived in the culture for many, many years, she gets dragged from house to house to house, and they tell the testimonies of what happened in the last house. And not only that, she can tell you about your future, and she can break off a curse, and she can heal the sick, and they are actually endorsing her ministry. And that's what's going to happen. And I can connect you people in. I can connect you with people in Riyadh that you can partner with because we cannot do this by ourselves. We do this in community. So even in Riyadh, we'll exchange um, contact information. We'll get you connected with people in Riyadh that are doing ministry in this way. And the thing is, is that God knows your temperament, your personality, your context. Part of my role as a trainer and equipper in the body of Christ is not to try to reproduce myself like this yeller screamer addicted coffee guy who talks about X-Men. 
That's not some of you. Some of you are introverts, and you're like, I could never do that. I take out the most introverted, shy people, and I, we train everybody how to release this same kingdom power through the person, personality, context in which they are. I want to free you. I just want you to know. God wants you to be fully you in your context and be somebody who is releasing the sauce. I love that word, sauce. The sauce. You guys are Texans. You love sauce. Salsa too. But kingdom sauce. I learned this from years ago from Todd Bentley. Releasing the sauce. I'm feeling the sauce. You can do it in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. So we can talk. Anyway, another question. Actually, um, I, would lo- I would love for you to pray okay. for us. Isn't this awesome, guys? I feel so, uh, so much faith to go out and lay hands on people. Um, and I know you guys are doing this already. And all I want to do is like put more flame on the fire. I mean, more like, like fuel on your fire. I mean, I know. That I'm, I'm, I'm here. I was invited here because we have this... We are drinking from the same well. We're drinking the same stuff, you know? And I know that, that in, to whatever extent that I can just say, whatever you're doing, more, more love. You know, I just want, I just, it's, it's, it's never, the message never changes. I never forget James Maloney, a friend of mine here in Texas, and he's been moving in, in Signs and Wonders for many years. And he said, Dave, you know, Charismatics... They get into all this crazy stuff and all this stuff around. And he says he believes in all of it. I mean, the gold dust, the feathers, multiple, you know, things multiplying and gold teeth and all the crazy stuff that happens on the side. But he said this, never, ever change the core message, which is heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. Never, ever. That's never going to get old because it's, it's how we communicate love. And we're going to do it until he comes back. You never actually outgrow healing the sick. I mean, you know, oh, I'm not into that anymore. I'm into the glory message. I mean, charismatics like to change messages like we change clothing sometimes. When did healing the sick get old? When did healing the sick cease to become the most loving thing that you could be doing? And I, I, I don't know about you, but it never gets old. It never gets old to lay hands on someone or not lay hands like we do now. We're not laying hands. But to see a miracle happen and sit there and just wonder at God, realizing that you, by yourself, untapped into that power source, cannot do it. And your faith. I mean, atheists look at me. How do you know there's a God? And say, like, probably 500 to 1,000 healings that I couldn't have done on my own. You know, I, it's just, there's no question anymore that, that God is alive and, and working. And, you know, some of you that are prophetic, the first time the Lord ever gave you a stranger's name, that can't happen apart from God revealing it. Unless the devil revealed it, which would be strange. Why would he be doing that to expand the kingdom? He doesn't shoot himself in the leg. So anyway, let me, let me just pray. I, I really wanted to stir you up tonight. I would stay here till 1 a.m. and lay hands on every single last person because I, I, if, if I thought you needed that. But I think many of you have had so many hands laid upon you, you probably have marks. <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of people. I mean, heck, you had Reinhard Bunky lay hands on you? Yeah, like a dozen times. Like, who needs to lay hands? I mean, she had Reinhard Bunky. She needs to lay hands on us. You know what I'm saying? So... 
the point is, is that what I'm just trying to stir you up is, you know what, you lack nothing. So I just want to pray that somehow, as I've been throwing mud at the wall all evening, that just a bit of it would stick. And that we would actually walk out of here and literally, literally just, it's, it, tonight is, 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 okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done being a spectator. I actually want to live. As, and you need to do it in community. You'll, if you try to go out and figure this thing out on your own, you will be picked off and discouraged and whatever. I can tell you right now, doing it in community is how it's done. It's how it's done. That's why love your neighbor as yourself, the, the ultimate commandment of the kingdom actually is a relational commandment. You have to do it with others. You know? That's why I think he took love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul off the table as, as the primary command because I think he looked down into the future and he said, oh no, there's going to be this intercessory movement and these people are going to go out and all they're going to do is pray. And they're just, they're not going to, they're going to be really mean-spirited people that just go off by themselves and they just intercede and they're going to say they're intercessors. I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but I'm also making a point. And I don't, I, I don't do that stuff because I'm an intercessor. I'm by myself. I go into places. I don't interact with people. I'm an intercessor. And Jesus said, that's not going to work. Love your neighbor as yourself is the primary thing. I'm all into intercession, but if you're an intercessor and you don't love people, you're you're off. You need to repent. Hear me. So I know some intercessors that are some nasty pieces of work, and they think that because they're intercessors, they can actually be grumpy. Is Jesus grumpy? Is he the intercessor? He lives to intercede. And he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. So if you're going to claim to be an intercessor like him, you better be manifesting even more love I mean, people, I mean, I'm sorry I'm being a little bit nasty, but you all know, kind of some of you are like, oh, I remember when I was in that stage. I remember when I thought getting off by myself and being grumpy was actually being godly. (laughs) It's not godly. You know what's godly? Love. That's it. It's just the assignment. I had to come back to the thing. So I just want to pray. I might just start yelling the word love until you get hit by it. (laughs) Seems like an interesting idea. I just got an email from a friend. He's with Catch the Fire. And he said, we're doing some real childish things out here. He's at Catch the Fire Church in, out in North Carolina. And he says, we're starting to, um, I, I, I should read the email. But he said something like, we're starting to hit each other with some kind of toy and believing that God's going to actually manifest his presence. Because it says we're supposed to become like children and children hit each other with toys. And I'm like, that's the weirdest email I've ever got. But I'm just like, Hey, if the Lord's in it and you're actually getting hit by his love, then go hit each other with Nerf toys. Something like that. I, I, I'll check. The, come see. If you want to see the crazy email, I'll show it to you. It's in my phone. Anyway, let me just pray. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray. <laughs> Somehow I think that the things that we've been talking about tonight are actually important to you. That somehow tonight these things are actually the most important thing in the kingdom is that we become love. That, 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 that in everything that we're going after, that we have to be going after this thing of becoming love in greater and greater and greater measures. And I, for one, stand before you, God, and say, Lord, I want to go into ever-increasing, that I want to grow into a greater maturity of love. 
Lord, that tonight we've been pushed forward, that we've been provoked, that we've had some, maybe some, some ideas that, that were holding us back, torn open, torn apart, that there's a way that I just see that the Lord has actually made a way for some of us to begin to move. That he's opened up some things, and, and right now, in the name of Jesus, I just break off some false things that some of us have believed, either about ourselves or about your nature, God, that have actually held us back from this reality that the ultimate kingdom reality is love. And that the ultimate assignment that you've given us is to manifest your love to each and every person that we ever meet for the rest of our days in the name of Jesus. And so right now, I pray that you would remove every hindrance and every barrier, and that I would come against lies. And right now I would rebuke spirits that are bringing confusion. Some tonight you have not been able to understand certain things that have been communicated. And right now in the name of Jesus, I rebuke spirits that are bringing confusion. I rebuke and I cast out of this place confusing spirits. In Jesus' name. And I pray that there would be right now a release of the Holy Spirit to bring, it's what Jesus said, guys, that the Holy Spirit would come and he would bring to our remembrance everything that Jesus has taught. Holy Spirit, would you brood over this place now and would you bring to each and every person's remembrance the very things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did. It's not just that we do the things that Jesus, that we talk like Jesus talked, but that we actually do the things that Jesus did. So, Father, I just release over this room faith because it's faith working through love. I just pray that tonight gifts of faith would be released in this room. Measures of faith right now, Holy Spirit, that you would bring an increase and that then there would be a stewardship of that measure of faith and that each and every person in this room would take as their mandate, I'm going to steward this. I'm going to develop it. I'm going to add to it the very things that Peter said that we add to it. Diligence and self-control and finally, love. Heavenly Father, tonight I pray that the enemy would be unable to steal the truths that you have communicated into this room. And I also pray that anything that I have shared that has really not been right or accurate or in accordance with your word, and I'm sure there's been a few, that, Lord, you would remove those things from their remembrance. I'm not doing this, Lord, as an excuse, but just believing that you will emphasize what is true and that what has either been fluff or hype or anything else would be passing away. And I pray all these things by the power of the blood and the power of the cross in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Holy Trinity, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.
Amen. Thank you so much, Dave. Hey, um, if, if you uh, if you want to bless Dave and you didn't get a chance to when the bucket went by, um, there is an offering box in the back. Um, it, Paul said in Philippians 4, he's, he's not looking for a gift, and Dave actually came expecting absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Paul says in Philippians 4, he's not, he's not looking for a gift, but something to credit to your account. So if you want to join your account in heaven with Dave's account, then uh, you can give to him. I just want to say that we have a blog and I have a podcast. And if you just Google Joel 2 Generation, Joel number 2 Generation, up will come our blog and our podcast. We, that miracle story I read is on our blog. We have hundreds and hundreds of blog testimonies. You just go to our blog and type in the word cancer, type in the word blindness, type in whatever thing you want to see, and you can find testimonies of Muslims being healed of these things. We've been doing it since 2006. So why do we do it? We do it anonymously. We just do it to spur the body of Christ on to, to faith and good works. I figure if, if a loudmouth, bald guy from California can actually enter into his X-Men identity, so can you. So anyway, Joel 2 Generation is where you can kind of get more stuff. Thanks for reminding me, Michael. Dave and uh, Michael, who are both exorcists and healers, uh, they will actually be here for a little while if you want to ask them any questions or have them uh, lay hands on your aunt. Um, You can come up and talk to them. Um, But I also had a a word knowledge for uh, someone with an injured left thumb. Not necessarily injured, but a problem with the left thumb. And uh, and it it feels like the onset of arthritis, doesn't it? But it's not arthritis. It's actually, come on up, we're going to take care of it. If you do come up to me, I don't want you to tell me what it is that you've got a problem. I want to wait on the Lord. I'm just trying to grow more, but I want the Lord to reveal me what your problem is, and then I'll pray for it. So this is how I train my team. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let just, you come up. And so if you want, if you have any ailment, just come up and say, what's the Lord showing you? And if he doesn't show me or I get it wrong, then I'll ask you. But anyway, I'm trying to grow. So I don't want you to tell me. I want the Lord to. Because then we'll have faith. Both of us will have faith for the miracle. (laughs) 